Hey, hey, everybody. How we doing? Everybody good? Saturday afternoon? Still going? Got a couple more in us here, huh? Hey, I just want to start off here at the beginning. Uh, this is a, a this is really cool for me in this moment. Uh, it's kind of like my, my uh, teenage life in, in God, meaning my 20s, being able to be here and speak today with uh, Charlie leading worship. Charlie led worship uh, when I was in high school and uh, when really kind of some of the time when God was most impacting my life. And uh, there's two things. He was one of the leaders in, in the group that I was a part of. And there's two things that he really uh, impacted on me. The first was that when I was uh, first... When I was first learning how to play the guitar and first I wanted to be, I wanted to lead worship and every Saturday night he would let me come up and uh, take his sheet music after he led worship. Uh, and that was a really cool thing for me as a 15 year old. Uh, I, I, that's how I got all my sheet music. It was kind of pre-internet days. And uh, so that was cool. And uh, actually we sang We Bow Our Hearts. That was like one of the first songs I ever learned how to play. And uh, so anyway, that was really cool. I, I realized that would be a cooler story if I was leading worship today. But uh, that's all right. That's all right. Uh, The the other thing, probably the main thing that I remember from from him being like one of my youth leaders, he was my Bible study leader for about like a month. And uh, there was one one time we were sitting around a table and there was was like five guys and this one kid was just talking and uh, he was just sharing his heart. And And, you know, Charlie was looking at him right in the eye and just, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good. And without breaking the moment ever, he just grabbed a bottle of water, unscrewed, just looked at the kid, "Mm," and just poured it on the lap of the kid next to him. And then just put the lid back on. Yeah, that's good. And and I don't even know what it was, but let me tell you, that has, I have done that so many times in my meeting, in my accountability meetings. Uh, you know, I don't know what he was about. I just, you just pour some water and it breaks the ice a little bit. Although I have learned it's not quite as funny when it's not water. Uh, people laugh when it's water, when it's like Coke, then, then they don't think it's super funny. But anyway, it's fun. It's fun having him here and fun getting to be with you guys today. Hey, uh, it's been a pretty exciting year for me. Uh, about 10 months ago, uh, I married the love of my life. Now, Amy Perkins, right down here on the front row. And you want to stand? This is my wife, Amy. And uh, so we are 10 months in and loving life, loving being married. Uh, actually, Glenn talked earlier today about uh, the having to outsource getting windshield wipers on his car. Just for all of you men, I really encourage you to learn how to put windshield wipers on your car. Amy and I have been married for 10 months now. And uh, coming into the winter season, her windshield wipers were really bad. And so she was like, hey, I need to go get some new windshield wipers. And I said, babe, do not pay somebody to put those on. I was like, I, I can do it. Okay, listen, that's, that, you're married now, and so I'm the man, and so I'm going to fix this for you, okay? So we went down to the, to the auto parts store, and we bought We talked to the guy, well, this is what we need. And we got him, and we put him in the car. And uh, winter came. And it starts snowing. See, in Colorado, we don't really need those so much for the rain. I mean, we get like these showers that you guys have experienced in the summer. Uh, for those of you that are in Tent City, you know what those are. And uh, so those are like, you know, 30 minutes long. But, but really, you need them for the winter when you come out and there's just snow everywhere. And uh, so we got these windshield wipers right before winter. And so it got cold. And uh, I, But like I said, Glenn said he had to outsource that. I was like, babe, we'll, we don't do that. So six months later, I said, why don't you just go have somebody else put those on as they're still sitting in her car? So, uh, so men, 
Learn how to do windshield wipers. Uh, that's how you show manliness, apparently. Uh, they don't have to sit in your car for six months. Uh, you can do that. So if you learn anything this weekend, learn that you should go home and learn how to put windshield wipers on your car. We, uh, we got the opportunity. I'm just telling you little stories here. Uh, we got the opportunity it's, uh, to go to Disneyland. Anybody ever been to Disneyland? I don't know why, but uh, girls love Disneyland. And, uh, and so, you know, like, they turn back into, like, when you get into the parking lot, they, they turn into, like, five-year-old princes that just, they just wish that they had worn their pink dress and crown, tiara, whatever that is, you know, and, and they just love it. And so my wife wanted to go, Amy wanted to go, so we went to Disneyland. And, um, you know, Disneyland's main thing is that they say that it's the happiest place on earth. Uh, the happiest place on earth. Um, that's a lie. I've learned firsthand experience. Let me tell you about my Disneyland experience. Okay, first off, it takes forever to get there. Because you get into the... We were in traffic in the parking lot for an hour. The parking lot traffic for an hour. I was like, I'm not happy right now. uh, And this is supposed to be the happiest place on earth. And uh, so we get in. And what's the... I mean, you go to Disneyland. Especially for you guys. What do you have to do at Disneyland? Space Mountain. There is one thing you do. Space Mountain. The happiest place on earth. I go to Space Mountain. Closed. And here's what they say. We're closed down temporarily. We may be open later. We may be open later. That leaves hope. That leaves a, oh, maybe I will redeem my manliness by going on Space Mountain later. Even though I'm at Disneyland, at least I'll... So I come back three times every time. We're closed. We may be open later. Space Mountain never opened. It was no good. Not only that, but they had these shows every night, right? Happiest place on earth has to have shows. Our show. Canceled. No show. No show. And you know the thing that's the worst about it? Is the lines. The lines are forever. They are literally forever. And uh, so, so I think we went on four rides all day. So great investment there. And, uh, but, but one of the, it's not just the lines for the rides. It's the line for food. Because the other thing, other than Space Mountain, that I have to do if I'm at Disneyland is get some funnel cake. Like I have to have some funnel cake if I am at Disneyland. And so, uh, so I go stand in line. And Amy goes to the show that never happens to get us seats. And uh, so she's sitting, waiting for the show. And uh, I'm standing in line. Uh, there's, I, I, here's the thing. The line wasn't that long. There was maybe 10 people in front of me. And uh, so I'm like, hey, this would be no problem. I'll be, be there in just a minute. I was in that line for an hour. 10 people. I mean, but I was committed to getting my funnel cake. And so as I'm standing in this line, and, and I was super bored, it was interesting, uh, I was by myself. So I was like, okay, what do you do when you're standing in line by yourself? Oh, you, you, you listen to the people's conversation in front of you. And uh, so I, I listened to the conversation in front of me. And it was a real interesting one. It was, uh, there was two, two young ladies talking. And here was the line that, that caught my attention. I wasn't really eavesdropping purposefully until this moment. Uh, and one girl said, yeah, after, after that 
car wreck. I, I heard that uh, your brother really became one of those, uh, you know, really started going to church a lot and started getting into that whole thing a lot. Really became a, a holy roller, which I thought they stopped saying like 30 years ago. Um, and the girl, and so the girl sitting next or standing next to her was like, oh yeah, he did that for a while. He was going, he really got into the church thing. And uh, he was doing it, and, you know, he was, like, taking his Bible to work, and he was going pretty hard for a while, but he's, he's calmed down now. I mean, he, he's back to normal. You know, he, do, he doesn't take his Bible to work anymore. And it was this really weird moment as I'm in the happiest place on earth. And, uh, man, my heart broke as I thought of you. Here we are, Desperation 2009. How do we become the kind of people that leave this place? Some of you came into this place passionate for Jesus. Some of you over these last two or three days, God's really stoked a fire in your heart. But how do we leave so that down the line, three months from now, four months from now, a year from now, three years from now, that's still going in us. I don't want someone talking about you while you're in line saying, oh yeah, they did that God thing for a while. But, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're back to normal now. They're, they're fine. It was kind of, I mean, they were talking about him like he got sick, but he's recovered, you know? I don't want that to be us. I want us to be so in love with the King of Kings that this changes our life forever. Luke 11. Luke 11, I'm going to start reading in verse 33. says this. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, he puts it on, a, on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are good, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are bad, your body also is full of darkness. And here's the verse that is so intriguing to me. Verse 35. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Here we are. We're talking about light up the world. We've talked about light all weekend. I just find it so interesting. See to it that the light that is within you is not really darkness. That doesn't make sense when I first read it. How can light within me be darkness? So I began to just, I began to pray about it and ask, okay, Lord, what does that mean that the light within me has become darkness? How do I see to it that that doesn't happen? And what I see that saying is it's saying, uh, you know, make sure that we come to this weekend. We come to, you go to camp or you go to, you go to Wednesday night church, you go to Sunday morning, whatever it is you do. And you get this light within you. You get this excitement and this fire within you. But if you don't continue fueling that flame, if you don't allow the Lord to continue fueling that flame in you, then it fades. And you start living, it's, it's what Glenn talked about this morning. You start living on rumors. You start living on yesterday's experiences. We have to continue to fight every day to experience God in that day. So that the fire, the light within you does not grow dark. Uh, my dad is a, a senior pastor. And so I grew up a pastor's son. That makes sense that way. And, uh, but before he was a pastor... Uh, he was a coach, and uh, he, so I kind of always got the feeling that he he pastored and fathered kind of like he coached, 
And uh, that's just kind of what our life was. And uh, so I don't know how many of you, uh, you know, different families can do different things. Some families allow things that other families don't. So I don't know what your family, when you were growing up, what your family allowed. Uh, I don't know what your parents allowed. But one of the things that I was never allowed to do was cry. Were you guys allowed to cry? I couldn't cry. I never was able to cry. Um, I don't know why. I think it was just kind of the, I, I was my, you know, my father's son. And he wanted me to be tough. And, and, and so, um, so here's what we had. We had uh, this thing that, I, that would happen anytime I would start to cry. Tears would start to well up in my eyes. And my dad would look at me and he'd be like, hey, Dan, let me see your football smile. Here's what that meant. So I'd be learning how to ride a bike. I don't know how you learned how to ride a bike. Uh, training wheels, not for me. And so, uh, so here's how I learned how to ride a bike. I got on a bike. It was a hand-me-down from like five people before. And so it was made in 1942. And, uh, and so it had like ding, ding, ding. And a basket. Anyway, banana seat. Anyway, so, uh, so I would learn how to ride a bike by pedal, 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 fall. Get up. Pedal, 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 fall. Get up, pedal, and that's just, and we lived in a cul-de-sac, and so I would just go in circles. Fall, pedal, pedal, fall, pedal, pedal, fall, pedal, pedal, fall. And I just went around and around, and, and just falling on, not on like grass, on, on asphalt, on the street is where I would fall every time. And so sometimes, you know, you fall and you skin your knee. Anybody ever skinned your knee? Anybody? Anybody? Nobody. Man, you guys were really good. I skinned my knee. And so I'm there, you know, I'd be learning how to ride my bike and I would pedal, 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 boom, fall. And I'd get up and, and blood would start to go down my knee a little bit. And, and I'd be like, and your tears, uh, you know, I'm like seven years old. Tears start to come because I'm bleeding. My dad would come up. Hey, Dan, football smile. Uh. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, let me see it. And your blood now is gushing. Come on. And he's like, come on, come on, come on. Pretend like you like it. And I'd be like, yeah. I'd pick my leg up off the ground. My leg fell off. I love this. Yeah. And that's how I learned to ride a bike. But I couldn't cry. And here's the interesting thing. I think sometimes as Christians, we learn how to football smile our way through life. We learn how to just grit our teeth and bear it and pretend like we like it. And we just, we kind of learn the Christian culture. We learn what we're supposed to do. So we go to church and we sing the songs and we're just, God, I love you. I don't want to be here, you know, but I'm there and you're, you do, maybe you'll even jump up and down or whatever, but we just kind of, we just, oh, and, and, and things happen. We just try to grit our teeth and bear it and life's hard, but, oh, I'm going to get through this. We just kind of football smile our way through life, through our walk with Jesus. We just, all right, this is what I have to do. This is what I'm supposed to do. And I think that it's in that mentality that we begin to see the light that was in us, the the experience that we had, the light that was in us begin to kind of fade because it just turns out that it's really just you gritting your teeth and burying it. It's really just you kind of sucking it up and facing the day. 
My friends, I don't want you to be the kind of person that just barely makes it. I don't want you to be the kind of person that a month from now, yeah, he was doing the God thing for a while, but stop taking his Bible school. He's kind of back to normal now. You know, he, she was, she really was intense for a little while, but she's, she's cool now, you know, like she's not, she's not a, like that anymore. I, doesn't, I don't want that to be us. I don't want that to be me. So I want to share from you just something that I feel like the Lord has spoken in my life and challenged me to. And kind of the idea of, of what I think will be the secret to your success as a follower of Jesus. As someone who is seeking after him. And when I say secret, I don't mean like nobody knows it. We've been, we've been singing about it all week long. So I, I'm not trying to say that this is a secret that nobody knows. But I think that the secret, that the key thing, the most fundamental thing that you need to know, that I need to know in my walk with Jesus, is this. God loves you. He really does. And see, here's the problem. Here's the problem. God loves you. It's so cute. I mean, we've been told that our whole life. I mean, your mom tells you, oh, son, daughter, oh, God loves you. Or we, you know, it's, it, we see the bumper stickers on the people's car. You know, God loves you and I'm trying, <laughs> you know, and like, whatever, you know, we just, we've heard that phrase so often that it means nothing to us. We've heard so many times people say, hey, God loves you. God bless you. God loves you. But it just kind of doesn't really mean anything to us anymore. But I believe that if you and I can begin to understand the truth that God loves us, it will radically change the way you look at life. It will radically impact the way you go through your life. And here's why. I think that loved people are dangerous people. Loved people are dangerous people, especially to the enemy. I believe that the lie of the enemy to young people today is that you're not lovable. He wants you to go through life thinking, surely no one, if they really knew who I was deep down on the inside, they wouldn't really like me. No way could they really like me. They, they might be nice to me now, but, but you know, like, I, I, I'm not really that lovable. I mean, I'm a, maybe, maybe you feel like I'm a, I'm a likable person. People might like me, but, but love me now. I believe that that's the main thing that Satan wants you to believe. No one could really love me. Because loved people are dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. Loved people, people that know that they're loved by God, are the ones that change the world. And here's why. Because no longer do they fear what the people in the hallway say about them. No longer are they so afraid of what everybody else thinks. You know, I, like, I had friends in high school. That might be a surprise to some of you. I don't know. Um, I hope all of you have friends. And, uh, and so I had friends, and, and um, it's really weird the way we work. But ultimately, we really only care about what our friends think of us. You know, like, like here's the weird thing. Um, I see this specifically, like, with, with girls at the cafeteria table. Um, they really, really care what those other seven people around that table think. I mean, they really care. But it is obvious that they do not care what everybody else thinks. 
Because there they are sitting around that table and they're just yucking it up, telling their stories, throwing it. Oh my goodness. You know, telling their singing songs. Girls sing songs like together and it's weird and I don't get it. You know, and they're just like, they, girls do the weirdest things and because as long as their friends think they're cool, then I don't, I don't care what they think about me. They don't, they're not cool. You know, and guys do it too. Guys do it too. Guys will, will, will really care what their bros think, what their boys think, you know? And they're like, man, as long as, they're, as long as they're guys that they're tight with are cool with them, then they'll do, you know, then they don't care. Dude, that, bro, bro, he doesn't even know what's cool. This is what's cool. Here's how I know this is true. It's, it's so true when you see guys walking around in, in like skinny jean shorts uh, and, and tight t-shirts. And, and like you're like, you obviously only care what a few people think. It's so obvious that you, that's really cool. That, don't get me wrong, that's really cool. But to a select group of people. If you're wearing that right now, I do apologize. I'm sorry. It's cool. I know it's cool. I'm not cool. But that's cool. It, but, you know, like, we care what our, pe- our friends think. And if our friends think we're cool, then we're good. That's sweet. How much more when we know that God thinks you're cool? How much more when you know that God likes you? Like, God really likes you. We were singing about this earlier. Like, God loves you and he likes you too. He's, he, he designed you, he made you, he's interested in you. And when you begin to know that and believe that, then all of a sudden, all the things that you do, because you, you, you kind of want other people to like you, begin to fade. And it's not that you want people to not like you, but it's that ultimately that doesn't matter because what I really care about is I have one that loves me. And you know who he is? He's the creator of everything. He really likes me. If we can get this concept, that, that, that if we can, and I don't mean like concept, like an idea. I shouldn't say it that way because this is a truth. This is a reality. God loves you. Put your name in that sentence. God loves you. And that's a big deal. What does it mean that God loves you? I think one of the verses that most blatantly says this. It's in the book of John. John wrote a lot about God's love. Um, and, uh, and so in, in John 15, verse 9, he says this. He says, as the Father has loved me, that's how much I love you. Jesus looks at, at his boys, at his disciples, and he says, this is how much I love you guys. As much as God loves me, that's how much I love you. Now, how much does God, the Father, love God the Son? How much does God love Jesus? I think a lot. You know, I mean, let's just look at a few things that cause love to happen. You know, what are the things that, that make love? They say that, that maybe, uh, maybe shared experiences. Shared experiences, you know, like when you, and, and that's true. Like when you hang out with people, you start to like them. You start to have a good time. When you do stuff together, you become friends. So shared experiences. How about creating everything? You think that's a shared experience? Like Jesus was there, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Through Him all things were made, without Him nothing was made that has been made. Jesus was with God, making everything. That's a cool experience. 
probably a little like, dude, remember when we made Pluto that star? Not a planet. What were they thinking? <laughs> that was good times. Remember that? Oh, let's reminisce. Uh, that took like two seconds. Uh, awesome. Shared experience. Okay. That's good. That's one of them. What about time spent? Quality time together, you know, or quantity of time, just hanging out a lot. All of eternity past, all of eternity future. It's a long time to hang out. They got a lot of time together, you know, God and Jesus. I think there's a lot of love that exists between God the Father and God the Son. And Jesus looks at us, he looks at his disciples and he says, this is how much I love you as much as God loves me. As much as God the Father loves me, that's how much I love you. That's a, that's a pretty cool thing. But then a couple verses later, he says this, John 15, verse 13. He says, greater love has no man than this. They lay down his life for a friend. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for a friend. What an interesting statement that Jesus makes. This is a little bit of foreshadowing here. This is a little bit, he, Jesus is looking at his disciples and he was like, listen guys, you don't know what's about to happen. But I'm about to give my life for everyone. For all humanity. Everyone, everyone, I mean everybody, you, you, all of us here, every, your grandparents, your great grandparents, the people that came over on the Mayflower, everybody. He said, I'm about to give my life for everyone. No greater love is there than this, that a man lay down his life for a friend. It's a little bit of foreshadowing. I, I wonder if the disciples, you know, after Jesus died on the cross, if they weren't hanging out in the upper room, eating pita bread, talking, and being like, man, that's been a hard couple days. Wait a minute. Do you remember what he said? He said that there was no greater way to love someone than to give your life. And that's what he told us that he just did. He gave his life for us. I wonder if that rang true to them at that moment. And then as they went on in the Acts church and as the foundation of spreading the church, if, if they didn't give their lives and say, Jesus, we want to give our lives for you because we want to show you how much we love you. Because you said that no greater love is there than this, that a man lay down his life for a friend. But it wasn't just foreshadowing. It was also post-shadowing. I don't know how to say that. It had already happened. Jesus gave his life for all of us when he decided to become a man. The incarnation itself, God becoming man. He stepped down from heaven. He left. He made himself a servant. He made himself, he made himself his creation. He, he had already given up everything to become like us. And then he did it again. No greater love is there than this. That a man lay down his life for a friend. Jesus is looking at you saying, hey, I gave you the greatest example of love possible when I died for you. When I gave my life for you, there is nothing that anyone can do to show you a greater act of love. And I think it's so easy for us to pretend like it's a cute phrase, God loves you. Like we all know it. We might all know those words, but do we know the reality that God 
loves you. Me. All of us. This really became real to me uh, when I was about 15 years old. It was when I, I kind of began to understand this. I went on a missions trip. Anybody ever been on a missions trip here before? And uh, we went to uh, Central America in Guatemala. Anybody? Anybody? Guatemala? Nice. Uh, I don't remember it. I'm sure it was a great trip. But uh, I'll tell you what I do remember. On the way home, we stayed, We went to like Tecpan. That, that's either a town or the money. I don't remember. Um, but we went, I think that's where we went. And then on the way home... Uh, we had to we had to go to the main city in Guatemala City and uh, and hang out for the night so that we could fly out the next morning, and uh, and so we got in and big city and so they had us stay in the hotel and and we checked in and here's what the leaders did they were good youth leaders and so they set some rules on us and they said okay here's the deal no one can leave the hotel first of all secondly uh, no one can be uh, alone. And no one can, you know, you have to be in a group and, you know, there's probably like guys and girls couldn't hang out alone, all those good things. Um, and so, and then, so we were kind of getting the briefing of what we we're doing. We got the rules, you know, and, and then they're like, oh, and hey, by the way, uh, we're leaving at 4 a.m. I have a personal conviction. I don't know what your convictions are. Um, I think that from 4 to 5, I think God sleeps from 4 to 5 a.m., I don't see any reason to be awake during from 4 a.m. to 5 a.m. I mean, you know, like, if you are staying up until 4 a.m., nothing good's going to happen. You know what I'm saying? 4 a.m., you should go to bed. But also, I worked at a coffee shop for a little while. Anybody? Anybody worked at coffee shops ever before? We op- I had to be there at 4.30 in the morning. Um, so there was a season of my life when this conviction really was instilled in me. Uh, because I was getting up, well, I worked at 4.30, so I got up around 4.20, 5, uh, you know. And it's at that moment in my life that I realized that no one should be out at this time. Everyone should be home, tucked in bed, asleep. Uh, because nothing good happens if you're staying up, and really nothing good happens if you're getting up. People can wait for their coffee. You know, and so, so I have this conviction, but my leaders obviously didn't. They, they said, yeah, yeah, uh, we're getting up, we're leaving at 4 a.m. And then they went to bed. So I got all my friends and I said, uh, hey, I didn't have the conviction at the time. I said, hey, um, I got an idea. Let's stay up all night. I mean, seriously, 4 a.m., it's like we're not even going to sleep anyway, right? So, so we, we, anybody ever tried to stay up all night? Anybody ever, anybody ever succeeded? How can more people succeed than try? Anyway, that's fine. So, so we were, we said, okay, we're going to try to stay up all night. My buddies and I used to always try to stay up all night. Uh, and we'd always fall asleep at like five, eight. like we figured like five was like, oh, we did it. All right, we're good. Let's go to bed. You know? And so you go home, you know, whatever, we're done. We made it. Uh, but anyway. Uh, so we tried to stay up all night. We were like, okay, we're going to stay up all night. And so we, we were hanging out in the lobby. And we were doing the typical thing that you do when you stay up all night. You tell stories. You laugh. And, you know, it's that weird thing. It kind of goes like this. Oh, me this schmitter. Oh, schmitter. Just that awkward silence. 
after the story and no one has anything else to say. And you're wondering, was it funny or do they think I'm dumb? You know, that's what we did. And uh, we were attempting to stay up all night. It had been a long week, though. It wasn't like your normal high school summer week. We had been in the mountains and hiking and doing building things and everything. And so people were tired. So one by one, I just watched as they went to bed. Finally, I looked alone. I looked around and I was all alone. I felt like Jesus in the garden. All had betrayed. All had lost heart. There I was by myself. But I was committed. And I said, I'm going to do this. But I was a good kid. I was a good kid. I had to follow the rules. And so I couldn't be alone by myself outside of a room. So I went to my, my room. I opened the door. I shut the door. Darkness. A bed. The soothing sounds of people breathing. You know, all that. I refused temptation in that moment. I said, I won't do this. So I went to the only place I could go. The bathroom. And in the bathroom, I sat the only place I could sit. That's right. So there I was. And I said, what should I do? I'm trying to stay awake. I know. I'll count things. Let me count the toilet paper. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, twelve. That was good times. I'll count the ceiling tiles. One, two. Done. All right, now what? I didn't have, at the time, I didn't have uh, a lot of books. And so I had one book. And so it was my Bible. And I said, I'll read. And so I thought, huh, what should I read? What would keep me awake through the night? What will it be? The Psalms may be good. I could sing them. That would make me liven up. It would be a good time. No, not the Psalms. Maybe Revelation. It'll scare me awake. I'll read about dragons and not understand. It'll keep me awake for sure. No. No, I won't go there. There's a book even more intriguing. Deuteronomy. Yes, I opened to Deuteronomy. And I started reading. And somehow I got to chapter 7. I must have started there. And so, it was in this moment that as I was reading Deuteronomy 7 in a really weird motel in Guatemala that was one of the most powerful moments in my life where God just broke in and the the scripture came alive to me. It doesn't make sense how that happened. But there I was. Maybe, maybe Pete was right. Maybe the people praying at 3 a.m. is when God breaks in, right? There you go. So start your prayer meetings at 3 a.m. So there I was. I was reading Deuteronomy 7 and I got about halfway through it. And this is what it says in Deuteronomy 7, starting verse 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affections on you 
and choose you because you were more numerous than other people, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because of the Lord's love, because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers. And I read that I was reading, the, the, the translation I was reading at the time said, The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the people on the face of the earth. The Lord your God has chosen you and lavished his love on you. It said, has lavished his love on you. And this is my favorite part. And it says, not because you were the largest or the greatest, for you were the smallest of all. And I said, yes, Lord. That's me every time, kickball. And it says, it was simply because of his great love. It was simply because of his great love. He has chosen you. I felt like, you know, like, I don't know how all of you felt in P.E., but it was really embarrassing in seventh grade PE for me. And, uh, and so, you know, like you do dodgeball and uh, you have first captain and second captain. And so they get to choose teams. And I love being a captain. Uh, being a captain is the best. Because you get to pick the other people. Because if you're not the captain, then they, ha- they have to pick. And you're like, look at me. I'm tall. You know, like, pick me. I'm big. I was kind of always towards the end. You know, and like, you're like one of the last two picked and, and you're looking at the other person and you're like, seriously, right here. Uh, I'm totally not last this time. <laughs> Shame. And then they pick that person and you're like, oh. you know, and you go to your team. I want you to imagine God is first captain. And here's what he says. Every time I choose you first. I choose you first, said the Lord, you has seen you and he's chosen you out of all the people on the earth. And I just read that and I said, God, I speak, I pray that over myself. I I feel that for me. You're saying, Dan, I choose you. Today he's saying, John, I choose you. He's saying, Kelly, I choose you. That resonated in me. It says that he lavished his love on you. It says that he was, uh, it says in this, in this translation, it says, you're his special treasure. I loved the idea of being a special treasure. Because when I was a kid, I had, I had toys, some. Well, mostly I had pots and pans. But uh, my mom had pots and pans and I played with him. But, you know, sometimes I had toys and um, I don't know what toys you had. Uh, but there were some toys that were cooler than others. And uh, so, you, you know, you'd invite your friends over. And uh, you, you, sometimes you lay out your toys. so Because toys, you know, when you're like... Nine, ten. that's kind of like the status of cool, you know, it's like what toys you have. And so you invite your friends over to come play and, and you're hanging out and, and you, put, you put your toys on. You're like, yeah, look what I got there. That's right. We can, let's play with these. These are going to be fun. But there's always that one toy that you just keep for yourself. You just put it right back here. Here's what it was for me. I'd have my friends come over and we'd have water gun fights. I'd lay out my arsenal of water guns. Pick one, any of them. They'd all pick up their little water guns. And then I'd bust out my Super Soaker 9,182. And I'd be like, oh, you ain't getting this one. You know, and they would be soaked and all wet. You know, but it was kind of that. And and like, I just felt like God was saying, that's a dumb example. But I felt like God was saying, Dan, you're my special treasure. I don't want to share you with anybody. I just want you. I want you. And it was in this moment, sitting in a bathroom in Guatemala, uncomfortable after counting a lot of things, that I just felt God say, Dan, I like you. I really do. You know what? I love you. I made you. And I've chosen you out of everybody 
I really like you. It's when it became real to me. And I think that it's so important for each one of us to have one of those moments. When this becomes real to you. The fact that God loves you. But here's the thing. As people, it's good to hear that God loves us. But it does something in our hearts. It's not just about receiving that. I don't know why, but, but I, I've just noticed uh, as I look at people, uh, people like to be liked. Do you guys like to be liked? Do you like it when people like you? I like it when people like me. I don't have a lot of friends that don't like me. I hope. I don't, I don't like to hang out with people that, that don't really like me. That's not, the, that's not my idea of fun. Standing in a circle, everybody making fun of me. Oh, this is great. I love this. Let's do this again sometime. No, we, I like it when people like me. I think you probably like hanging out with people that like you. 1 John 4, 19 says, We love because he first loved us. When we find out that God loves us, our natural response is to love him back. You can't help it. You can't help it. And so when people tell you that, you're, that you need to grow more in love with God, I'll tell you that the way to do that is find out how much he loves you. And all of a sudden, your heart naturally leaps back towards him. I'll illustrate this for you. Uh, we'll go back to fifth grade. Fifth, I like talking about when we're kids because it's nice. Uh, you know, so let's go. Everybody go back to fifth grade for a second in your mind. Some of you are there. You're like, that's next year. All right, so fifth grade, you go to school, you sit down, and uh, I was a new kid in fifth grade, so that's where I'm at right now. I'm a new kid in school. You sit down in your class, you start to look around, and uh, you're looking at everybody, and uh, what's the first thing you do? Shout it out. Anybody know the first thing you do? Make friends. That's good. Yeah, you try to make friends. You, you, I'm sure some of you uh, read the, uh, you know, the instructions for the day on your first day because you want to know your homework for all year so that you can get it done in the first month. That was never me. Here's what most of us do. You look around first day of school. You look for the good looking people. You're like, hmm, yes, yes, no. Yeah, yeah okay. And so, you know, you kind of spot them out. And then about a month into school, you're sitting there in school and uh, you get a note passed to you and you open this note. It takes like five minutes to unfold. (laughs) And here's what it says. Dear Billy Bob Sue, I grew up in Oklahoma. Sorry, that's just, that's a guy. (laughs) Billy Bob Sue. Do you like me? Check yes. Check no, check maybe. Signed, Martha Eleanor. And you look around and you, you elbow your one buddy you've made. You're like, dude, who is Martha Eleanor? And he's like, it's the girl in the back, you know, see her. And you're like, I've never seen her before. She likes me. Well, do you like her? I don't know. Do you, I don't know her. Do you like me? Check no, me. Yes. You check, you fold it back, throw it, you know, it flies back to her. She opens it, you know, and she's unwrapping it. And she's all happy. You know, we, we, we like to be liked. You find out someone just kind of has a crush on you. And all of a sudden your heart's like, Ooh, I kind of like them too. What's their name again? 
We just, we like to be liked. What happens when we find out that the King of Kings, that the Lord of Lords, that the Creator of heaven and earth adores you, loves you, and He really likes you too? Man, I'm telling you, your heart becomes alive in Him, and you cannot help but love Him back. It's our heart's natural response. 1 John 3 verse 1 says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that... that, uh, Sorry, the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. He lavishes His love on you. I loved that word when I read it in, in Deuteronomy when I was 15. Here it is in 1 John. God lavishing His love. I began to just kind of think, God, how do you lavish your love on me? I don't know that I always feel that. I think that God lavishes His love in ways that we a lot of times don't even know. I think the fact that each one of us is breathing right now, that's a pretty good statement of His love for you. He's sustaining your life. I think, I think in the little things of life, in our friendships, in the fact that we're able to come to things like this, sometimes we feel great moves where we really feel like God loves us. And sometimes it's just as we walk through ordinary life and we just see little things, little blessings that most of the time we turn a blind eye to. I encourage you, start looking for them. Ask God, God, how much do you love me? How are you showing me your love today? Maybe it's the fact that you, are, that you, can, you can come here. Maybe it's the fact that you can see. Maybe it's the fact that you have friends. Maybe it's the fact that he has been there for you when you didn't. I don't know what it is for you, but God, the Bible says that God lavishes his love on you. I believe that he does. Let's start looking for it. Start asking God, God, how do you lavish your love on me? Ephesians 3.18, I love this. It says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. To know this love that surpasses knowledge. God's love can be experienced. God's love isn't just about what you know. You can walk around saying, I know God loves me. But God's love actually can be experienced tangibly every day as he lavishes it on you. He loves you. And I think that we have to turn our eyes to begin to look. God, show me how much you love me. Show me today how you are lavishing your love on me. His love can be experienced. It's not just a good idea. It's not just a nice thing. It can be experienced. This love that surpasses knowledge. See, knowledge is nice. But experience makes it real in you. Experience is what makes it come alive in you. And as you begin to experience God's love, your heart is turned back towards Him. You begin to love Him with all of your life. There's a few things that God's love does for us. First, I think obviously it it thrills us. It's exciting. It is exciting. 
when we find out that God loves us. It's exciting. How many, anybody ever been in love? I have. I'm married. That's good. You know that first moment when like you begin to like fall in love and you feel the butterflies and you shake when you're around someone. You know, it's exciting. God's love, knowing that God loves you. When we're down here in worship and we can feel God's love, it's exciting. And in that moment, you're really saying, there really is nowhere else that I'd rather be. God's love is exciting, but it's also sustaining. God's love will sustain you. Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. God will sustain you through the good days and the bad, through the easy times and the hard. When you have a relationship with God, he sustains you. The understanding and the experience of his love will sustain you no matter what life brings. In the waves of life, the good, the the easy, the fun, the difficult times. There's testimonies of this happening. People that have experienced God's love and it sustains him. And number three is it prepares us. As you know that God loves you, it'll prepare you for whatever life brings, but it will also prepare you come success because you'll realize that this isn't really about me. It's about God. It prepares you to be able to step into the calling that God has placed on your life because God can only trust God can only, can only bring people to their calling if he can trust them. And he can, he can only trust you if you're rooted and established in him. If you know that it's not really about you, it's really about him. It'll prepare you. The other thing God's love does when we know that God loves us is it empowers us to run to him instead of away from him after we fall. Because you will through this life. There'll be times where you make mistakes. There'll be times where you stumble. But when you know that you have a father that loves you, it empowers you to run to him instead of away from him. Our natural, our natural tendency will be to run from God. It's kind of like when you get in trouble when you're a kid uh, and uh, you know that a spanking is coming. And, uh, and so you run to the closet because surely mom and dad will never find me in here. See, when you know God's love, you don't look for those closets to run to. You're able to approach the throne with boldness. Say, God, I fell. I'm sorry. I repent. And then you get up and you run even harder than you were before. God's love will empower you when you really know, it's what, it's what Pastor Brady was talking about, that you are a son, that you are a daughter of the king. It'll empower you to run to him instead of away from him. I encourage you to not take my word for this. This whole weekend, actually. You've heard tons of talks, probably more than the last two years combined this, in this three days. But don't take my word for it. Go find out for yourself. Go ask God, God, how much do you love me? What does it mean that you love me? I think the greatest way that you can find out is to start spending time with him. Because I spend time with the people that I love. 
and the people that I want to develop relationship with, I, I spend time with. So if you will make the commitment, God, I'm going to start spending time with you daily as much as I can. That's the one way that I believe God will begin to show you how much he loves you. Ask him, God, show me. Let, open my eyes to see how much you love me. But here's the thing. You're talking about light up the world. It's interesting when you love somebody. So God loves you. And that will, when you begin to understand and experience that, that will naturally cause you to love him. But the interesting thing is, as we, when we love people, we begin to like what they like. Let me tell you, friends. I have seen more chick flicks than any man has ever needed to see. I have talked on the phone for more hours than any man ever needed to talk on the phone. I have bought flowers. Those things that grow naturally in the ground. I have purchased them. Why? Things that my bride likes. Things that she likes. I want to I start hanging out and doing the things that she likes. I want to start spending time with her. And, and all of a sudden, I'm enjoying the notebook. No, not really. That's not true. I, I did not enjoy it. I, 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 I watched it, but I did not enjoy it. I go to Disneyland. Who goes to Disneyland? I went to Disneyland. Listen, when you start to love somebody, you start to like the things that they like. Do you know that my wife watched the Nuggets with me this playoffs in the NBA? She watched the games with me. And then not only did she watch them with me, she talked about it afterwards. She knew what she was talking about. She actually started liking it. Don't tell her that I told you that. She doesn't know, but she's starting to like it. When you love someone, you start to like the things that they like. What is God like? What are the things that God likes? He does like diligent prayer. But more than that, God likes people. God actually loves people. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, he said, love God. And love people. Love God, love people. You know the scripture says that, Jesus says that if you love me, you'll do what? You'll obey me. If you love him, you'll obey him. Well, how do we love him? Obey him. Okay, well, what do you want us to do? Love me. Okay, I obey you. How do I obey? It just it goes in circles. Love him, obey him, love him, obey him. What does he say to you? He says, love me. Love God and love people. As we've been talking about lighting up the world, it's not so much. It's not always about going out and doing good things. It's about loving people. It's about really loving them. Uh, the, the, greatest, the best definition that I've heard for love is passion for someone's highest good. Passion for someone's highest good. So when you're going to help the person that is, that is poor or needy. It's not because that's the good thing to do. It's because your heart breaks for them because you have passion for their highest good. And their highest good is not for them to be in that place.
When you're, see, the difference between Christians and philanthropists or humanitarians, we don't feel bad for people. We love them. We don't look at people and say, oh, oh, I, I pity them. No, we love them because God loves them. We love God and we cannot help but love people if we love him. And so as we talk this weekend, I encourage you, look for ways to love people. To really love them, to have a passion for their highest good. Tag loves those students that they built that orphanage for. How do you love people? Yes, you love people by doing things that will help them. But it's not because you want to be a good person. It's because I love God and God so loved the world. As we, listen, light up the world, Jesus makes it really clear. He says, I am the light of the world. I'm in you, therefore you are the light of the world. We've been saying it all weekend. It's clear. The reason we are the light of the world is because Christ is in us. That's what makes us light. Not, not, not all of the other things. The other things are overflow of him being in you. And, he, and you loving him. And therefore, going to love other people. If you'll stand with me. I just want to, if the band can go ahead and come out. I just want to pray for you guys this morning. Um, I really believe that it's true. That there's nothing that will impact your life more than the understanding that God loves you. And I, I hope that that's not um, going to happen from a sermon. It's going to happen from you experiencing God's love. And you saying, God, show me how much you love me. I, I have to know. I want to know. I really believe it's the thing that will set you up for success 50 years from now in Christ. The thing that will sustain you to not, not just be for a little while going hard after Jesus. And, and then you kind of burn out. You kind of get tired. You kind of settle a little bit. I don't want to see people settling anymore. I want to see people falling more and more in love with Jesus every day, every year. I believe the only way that you can do that is by understanding the reality, the truth that he loves you. So I want to just pray for those of you that say, I need to know that God loves me. I, I don't fully understand it. It's something that I've been told, something we've talked about a lot, something that we sing, but I don't really have an understanding of that. And then I also want to pray for those of you that say, you know, I want God's love to flow out of me. So that when the Bible says that, that people will see my good deeds and praise my Father in heaven, my good deeds are simply because it's a reaction to me loving people because that's who God loves and I can't help it. And some of you need to grow in your love, your authentic, real love for people. So we're going to go into worship here. But I just want to invite anyone that if you're in either of those two camps, if you just want to come up front here, if you're saying, I need to experience God's love in a way that I've never experienced it before. I've been doing this 
this God thing for a while and and I want a new reality in that truth. Or if you're saying, man, I want to love people like Jesus did. Jesus, I thank you that you gave the greatest demonstration of love that anyone could ever give. And you told us that. You told us that there's no greater love than a man lay down his life for a friend and then that's what you did. And Father, I pray that today you will open up our hearts to receive that love. God, I pray for those of us here that don't feel like we're lovable. Those of us here that feel like we've messed up too much. We've done too much. We're too dark inside. Surely it's not true that God could love me. God, I pray that you will flood our hearts with your love. That you will break those lies off of our lives. Jesus, I pray that each one of us will fall more in love with you. And that out of that, we will authentically love people. We will authentically, truly love others. We will provide for those in need. We will look out for those that no one else is looking out for. Because we love them. Because you love them. Let this be real in us tonight. Jesus, do this in our hearts.